Welcome to Cluelessly Conscious, a platform where we as teenagers in 2020 can converse about our take on a wide range of topics, from pop culture to politics. This week, we discuss the trials and tribulations of being a woman of color in America. I'm Melody, and I'm here with Divya and Nina. Connor unfortunately couldn't join us this week, so to start off today, we're going to be playing an intro game of highs and lows. For me this week, a high was that I finally started my first job at a nitrogen ice cream shop. I'm really excited about it. So if you're ever in Boca Raton, come visit Phenomenon. And a low for me this week is that I cannot figure out how to calculate opportunity cost in macroeconomics to save my life. I've watched 8 million YouTube videos and I still can't get it, but I'm working on it. I'm trying to figure it out. So that's just about it for me. Divya, what are your highs and lows? Um, so for me, this week's school started, which can kind of function as a high and a low because I was really bored up until now. And I was just like isolation was like getting to me. But now that school started, I kind of have something to do, which is nice. But at the same time, we have a ton of work, plus college apps, plus club stuff and everything. So that kind of makes it a low as well. So um, Nina, what are your highs and lows? Okay, so, like, this week I had my second week of school, and it was fine. It was all online, obviously, and, like, it was it was weird because we would have school, but it was, like, more of, like, an introduction to school than, like, actual, like, curriculum learning, and so it was fun to, like, meet, see my friends, like, online and, like, kind of get back into the groove of things. I, like, keeping myself busy, so it was, like, nice, but also it just felt, like, strange because I've been so used to, like, just doing nothing all day because of summer and yeah um I think and definitely a huge low this week and just honestly the past two weeks was the fact that like California like specifically northern California is going through a lot right now in terms of the fires I don't know if you guys have been are aware of this but like California is the like are ha- is having huge wildfires and it's actually very close to my house and you know like a few days ago like the the sky was like orange and like I like which could literally smell smoke everywhere and there was like ashes everywhere. So it's like really, it's really scary. And like the fire evacuation zone is like pretty close to my house. So like we may have to evacuate. So that's kind of like a low, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens. And also like there's been a heat wave and like a lot of lightning in our area. So it probably has something to do with that. Like that sort of like change in weather um, because of obviously the climate change, but um, it's just, it's really crazy right now in California to be honest. And yeah, we're just kind of trying to deal with that. So, yeah. But this week we'll be discussing um, what it's like to be a woman of color. So I just want to pose a question to you guys right now is, how have you dealt with that growing up? And what are some of your experiences like been like as a woman of color in the United States? I guess for me, it's always just been kind of difficult trying to find balance between being like living in America and just being a um, person of Haitian descent. It's really difficult because most of my family, if not almost all of my family still lives in Haiti and they all get together on Sundays, which is something that was really beautiful. And I would spend summers there and I would get to be a part of that. But obviously like that isn't a regular part of my life. So there's this like disconnect almost. And that's really unfortunate because I love my family and they have been some of the most amazing people and some of the most loving people. But being in America and that physical boundary has created a lot of um, just restraints on our relationship, essentially. 
And so I feel like that isn't that the song of all immigrant children, though, growing up and not being able to really, truly connect with family who's living overseas because you can't physically be there all the time. And obviously technology and things like that have given us the capability to be more connected than ever. But it's still not the same thing. And like you guys can kind of chime in on that, but I don't think it'll ever be the same thing as just being there with each other physically and interacting and hugging and talking and all of those things that you do when you see your family um, in person. Yeah, I feel like for me, it's a little bit different because half of my family is actually in the United States and the other half is in India right now. Um, I'm, I'm Indian American and it, it's kind of strange because I kind of developed a more close relationship with my Indian American like family, like um, my cousins that are Indian American, just because, you know, we have the same experience and we can relate to those things. And they're also a bit closer to me in age. But whenever I go to India, it's like really nice to see all my relatives there. But it, there's still a bit of a disconnect also because there's also kind of a language barrier. Because I'm not super fluent in my native language of Telugu. So it's like, it's a little bit hard for me to communicate with like my relatives there. But, you know, there's always a feeling of like, oh, yeah, so like we still understand one another and like still like kind of care for one another, which is really nice. But I feel like also for me, I've kind of developed this sort of like feeling and sort of like experience where whatever I go, whenever I'm here in the United States, I am not really like seen as one of the like, I'm not really seen as um, one of, like I don't see it as an American to be honest because I have brown skin and I don't look like what a American, but like sort of like the Caucasian like American stereotype, which is, you know, perpetuated obviously because of colonization, but that's a whole different rant that I want to talk about later. But because of that, I'm not really included in a lot of, like, especially when I was younger, I wasn't really included with, a lot of, like, a lot of more, um, just, like, American traditions and just kind of, like, a bunch of, like, the white kids at my school when I was younger. But whenever I go back to India, I'm seen as, like, no, you're more American than you are Indian. So even if they have the same skin color as me, it's always, like, oh, you're, you're not one of us. You're, and, and, and it's, like, you know, it's this sense of exclusion wherever I go. And it's, I feel like I find the most amount of solace when, I, when I'm friends with other people of color. Like when I'm amongst other people of color, especially like women of color, I feel probably the most at home because they can relate to me and they know what it's like to have a like a sort of two sides of like, you know, how you are with your family, with your own culture and how you are with just the rest of the United States and other people outside of that. So it's, it's really interesting and really nice to have that kind of relationship and those friendships. And I really value them as well. Yeah, like Nina and Melody said, um, we have sort of a disconnect because we have that, like, you know, global barrier. Most of my family lives in India, and um, I have some close family friends here that are not exactly, like, blood-related to me, but, like, almost related because I've pretty much spent my entire life with them. And like Nina said, I am a lot closer to those cousins than the ones that are in India, but um, my family always kind of made it a point to visit India at least once a year, and I also went to Tamil school, and Tamil is the Indian language that I speak, so I can read, write, and speak Tamil, so, like, I've grown up speaking both Tamil and, like, English, so um, I can, like, talk in Tamil to my, like, relatives when I go back, but still, they kind of see me as, like, the Indian-American kid, like, 
sometimes like if I say a word wrong or like I can't pronounce something they like make fun of me and it's just like ah and then like when we're here like growing up the place that I grew up in was prominently white and they haven't they hadn't really seen people that were like of Asian and like Indian American descent so a lot of them actually thought that I was like african-american or like black which was kind of insane that they they were like so secluded that they didn't even like know that indian people existed so that was kind of a weird experience for me growing up and um yeah like nina said like when you're here you're kind of not seen as exactly the american stereotype and then when you're in india you're kind of seen as like the indian kid from america and yeah, that's, it's a kind of a struggle, especially when you're growing up. I think I've definitely become more accustomed to, to it now, but yeah, that was definitely a struggle. And um, after I moved to Texas from Chicago, I saw a lot more people that were Indian American and that actually made me embrace my culture a lot more and connect it, connect with it better because we have like a temple that's like five minutes away that we go to every week and then me and my friends go to Garba together and there's like so many people that look like me which has made me really like connect with my culture a lot more and like made me feel more at home so that's really cool for me I guess it's been more difficult because in every like school that I've ever been in it's been predominantly white and my friends are predominantly white and so I feel like I have this, like, not only disconnect from my family, but disconnect from my culture. And I, I have to make it a point to say that that is not the fault of my family. That is my own fault. I have failed in many respects in going out of my way to try and learn more about Haitian culture. And that's something that I'm not entirely proud of. Because I feel like for a long time, like, my goal was just to assimilate, to, like, be a part of the crowd and to just act like the white people that were around me because that's what I saw as socially acceptable was to act like the people that I saw around me and like I don't like the term whitewashing at all but if there was somebody who's whitewashed it's me and I'm that's not something I'm extremely proud of because I wish that I could say that I have embraced my culture to the fullest extent and that I have been able to really immerse myself in that but I haven't and I is it my fault for choosing to assimilate? Yes, but I think it's also just a lot of societal pressure. Like, we are expected as people of color to just act like white people. And we're shown on the media that if you aren't acting like white people, you'll end up dead. It's such a life and death situation, and it's so hard to find the balance between what is accepting who I am as a person, which at its very core is my background, my ethnicity, my race, that is who you are at your very core. What's the balance between finding that and staying safe out there in the world and making conscious decisions that don't put me at risk? You know, that's such an incredible balance. And I think that's something ties in a lot to our first episode about BLM and talking about how race plays a role in our everyday lives. And it's not just about black people. It's about all people of color. You know, America especially is just so focused on being the standard, being white, being male. And if you're not that, 
then you're constantly living in fear of all these things and you're trying to change your lifestyle so that you aren't put at further risk. But the truth is is that a woman shouldn't have to cover up her body out of fear that some pedophile is going to come and try and rape her. Or a person of color shouldn't have to follow a specific procedure when the police come up to their car because they're afraid of getting shot. But that's what America set us up for. It's like being a person of color in this country, you're set up to fail. You're expected to fail. So your only option really is to assimilate. So yes, I accept responsibility that I haven't really immersed myself in Haitian culture, probably as I should. But I'm also not going to pretend like I was given really an option. It's either be white or live in fear of so many different things. And you guys can kind of comment on that. Yeah, I feel like especially out of just a need for survival, a lot of us have been forced to sort of forget our own culture and assimilate into like the culture that we feel like is forced upon us. And just because of survival, and you know, I think I've noticed this my parents as well, they deny it. But like I've seen them like personally, like whenever they're talking to people that are white, they like change their accent and try to make it more of an American accent. It's probably like subconscious, but it still happens, like especially my dad. And it's like it made me realize like, you know, why are we doing this to appease like white people and making sure that they're comfortable? Like, I don't like, you know, it's making us uncomfortable having to change ourselves to make them comfortable. And I also feel like, honestly, it's like most kids of color have a phase usually in their younger years when they just want to be white. Like when I was like, when I was in kindergarten, I said several times that I want to be white. My brother, when he was younger, he also said he wanted to be white and not because, you know, we don't like, we feel ugly as like people of color, but because we feel like it's easier to fit in when you're a white person and you feel like you're less judged when you're a white person. And, you know, that's a given for a lot of people of color. And I remember also when I was in middle school, we had a pretty diverse middle school until we would do celebrations like Diwali and a lot of like other like cultural like celebrations that people of color, like coming from cultures where people of color were prominent, right? And so we had Diwali celebration once in my school and like all my Indian friends came in cultural attire. But I was like, no, that's embarrassing. I don't want to do that. And I just came wearing, like, you know, jeans and a T-shirt. And I felt, I when I saw everyone else in cultural garb, I kind of realized, like, hey, like, why am I trying to, like, suppress my own culture just to fit in better or make white people more comfortable? You know, because I just felt like if I was wearing my cultural clothing, they would get uncomfortable and they wouldn't like it. But it made me realize, like, hey, like, why am I doing this? Why, why, why am I not just so proud of my culture that I want to wear this outfit, like, every day, you know? So I started being more open to my culture. But even still, like, I still get scared to, um, you know, be my fully authentic self sometimes just because I – it's, like, subconscious. I just feel like I need to assimilate for the sake of white people. And it's, it's an issue that I continue to battle with, but it's been ingrained so hard into, like, kids of color's minds that like it's it's hard to break out of but it's a conscious effort that I'm keeping up yeah for sure like growing up in Chicago there wasn't that many people that looked like me and I remember when my grandma used to visit she only wears sorry she doesn't wear like like American clothes and like I would be scared that someone would like make comments at her which is not a fear that I should hold like um I was not embarrassed of her but I was just so scared that someone would hurt her or like you know comment on whatever she's wearing and like you know of course like I can definitely say it's not all white people that are like this because 
there's so many people that commented and they were like, oh my gosh, your dress is so beautiful. And I was like, like, what am I really worried for? There's just a couple of, you know, jerks out there that, you know, can't accept that other people of other cultures live here. And like, my culture is really beautiful and I should just be proud of it. And you know, but it's, it still remains a constant battle. Like if I'm coming back from the temple or something and we have to like go to Walmart to pick up something, if I'm wearing like ethnic clothes, I don't like go inside. I don't feel comfortable. And like, even like wearing a bindi and like all of that. I remember when I was in middle school, someone thought it was like a red pimple on my face. They were like, why you, you have a, you have a red pimple in the middle of your forehead. And I was like, that's not a pimple. That's a bindi. And like, Ever since then, I wouldn't really, like, wear it as much. And it's just little things like that. And then suddenly, like, next week, you see Selena Gomez wearing a bindi and, like, our cultural clothing in, like, her music video. And suddenly, everyone thinks it's cool. And that's a whole other conversation on cultural appropriation. But it's just, like, sometimes I feel like it's, like, when we do it or, like, when we talk about it, like, even other parts of our culture, like, the fact that we do like yoga and like, you know, use turmeric in our food. Like when we do it, it's just considered weird and like gross. But then like when white people introduce it, suddenly it's cool and like trendy when it's really just cultural appropriation. But like, like growing up with that and like some seeing things that I was made fun of when I was younger for doing now being a trend is just a whole other type of hurt and I feel like it's becoming a lot more prominent now. And I'm glad people are calling it out, but it's still just such a, it's so hurtful to see that. Yeah, obviously. I feel like a lot of the times um, it's essentially like a trend, right? Like I don't even fully blame white people. I just blame the bandwagon effect, essentially, that it's just like a fashion, fashion trend, essentially, right? We see people wearing mom jeans and now everybody wants to wear mom jeans and everybody starts buying mom jeans. So then we all just kind of like join in on this craze. And it's not necessarily explicitly because you wanted to do it. It's more because everybody else is doing it and you don't look good if you're not doing it. And being a person of color growing up in America, it's so hard because even if you don't want it to be, a lot of how people perceive you is about your looks. It's so little about personality, which is so unfortunate. I think that's one of the biggest issues um, that we're facing is that we are so quick to judge principally based on what you look like. If somebody's not dressed well, we think they're less intelligent. We think they're dirty. And then we think they're not capable. If somebody's dressed really well, we think they're smarter than everybody else and live on some upper echelon of society. But we don't really take the time to get to know people. We're so focused on judging people based on their looks and that's extenuated beyond just clothing. That's extenuated to skin tone and facial features and cultural garb. Like all of these things, this is how we started to like evaluate people's personalities. People notice that I'm black and just automatically assume that I'm going to be more aggressive. And people see that I'm a woman and automatically assume that I'm going to be more feeble. So when I'm not either one of those things, they're automatically surprised but if you didn't take the time to get to know me you wouldn't know that so people just assume things about you especially we're all in debate especially in debate if you're ever aggressive as a woman you are automatically labeled as being like somebody who's not capable in the round because 
you're a female and you're being just as aggressive as your male counterparts, but because you're a woman, it's not, you're seen as somebody who's doing something abhorrent. It's like ridiculous. And it, it extends to every facet of your life being somebody who looks different and who isn't the norm. And it starts to affect everything. And it's taxing on your mental health, like struggling with how to find your identity and yourself versus how to blend in with the crowd. It's, it's, it's something that I think we don't talk about nearly enough when we talk about people of color. We just assume that every person of color is this empowered person. But I can say personally, my experience is that I have fought with myself so much since I was a kid about whether or not to assimilate into the crowd and to act white and to just do that because it felt like something that was a natural progression for somebody who's going to a mostly white school versus embracing a culture that I've, I've seen Haiti. I love Haiti. I love Haitian music. I love Haitian food. I love the language. I love the people. I've seen people dancing in the streets absolutely happy who don't have much. And I've, I've seen that and I love that so much, but it's so hard for me to accept that part of myself because I feel like if I do, then I'm, I'm going to label myself forever to be like essentially an outcast, which is probably an irrational fear. But I think it's something a lot of people of color struggle with when you're living in the United States because the U.S. is just so much about how you look. Even though we try and label ourselves, this is my biggest problem with the U.S. The U.S. markets itself as being this place that's accepting of all races, of all people, of all genders, of all sexualities. And they talk a big game, but there's nothing to back it up. We've got organizations like ICE being Islamophobic in Miami. That's my home state, Florida. That's an hour from my house. ICE detention centers are being Islamophobic. We see BLM protests going on across the country because of police brutality. For some place that is so determined to make people believe that it is accepting of all cultures, we sure are not backing that up with literally any facet. We've got a president who's a racist, a homophobe, and a sexist. He's all three in one. He is the embodiment of what I think we should all be trying to fight. But he's the person we've chosen to lead our country. And that's why you, if you're interested, should vote blue, Joe Biden 2020. That's just my personal thought. But, you know, as a person of color, Donald Trump has created a very dangerous atmosphere. And he's stoked a lot of very dangerous people who have very dangerous opinions. And, you know, everybody's entitled to believe whatever they want politically. But at some point, it's not a political opinion. It's morality. So that's just me. Yeah, I really feel that, especially I feel like what you were talking about when we talked about how, like, how people of color are seen as, and, like, women of color are seen as, like, both feeble, but also, like, overly, like, and, like, I feel like being a woman of color, like you were saying, Melody, it's, like, when you're outspoken, you're seen as lesser than, because they expect you to, like, be a certain way, and, like, the only way for you to, like, for for a person of color to please, like, oh, like, sort of white American society is to be quiet and not to speak out, I think. That's, like, the only way to please them, I feel like, and when you don't do that, they don't like it. I remember, I remember when I was, like, younger, I would have teachers that would, like, be, like, that would, they would like me as a student, and then they would mess up things like my name, my last name is Uluganath, and it's not, it's not even that hard to say. It's, like, phonetic, but they would mess it up a lot. But when I would correct them, they would get angry. And I know it's, like, it's like, a big deal. But, like, I remember one specific memory where it was, like, 
I had a lot of Indian people in my class and my teacher would constantly mess up our names, right? And we would correct him and he'd be like, why are you guys correcting me? Like, you Indians are always, like, correcting me. It's kind of annoying. Like, I'm going to say how I want to say it, right? And, like, you know, if you're going to say our name, say it correctly. And that kind of forced me to be like, okay, well, maybe my name doesn't matter. You know, just let him say how he wants to say it. Don't make him mad. But now it's like, why? Why am I, it's my name. It's my culture. Say it right, you know? That's kind of how I feel. Like, when you're an empowered person of color, you're seen as, dangerous or you're seen as someone that shouldn't be speaking out it's like be grateful that you're even in this country in the first place right that's how that's kind of how like the vibe that i've gotten whenever i've been outspoken as a person of color and as a kid of immigrants so yeah there's such an expectation to be like everybody else and i feel like that has been the commonplace for years, and it probably will be for years to come. I doubt there's a lot that any of us could do other than choosing to embrace our cultures, but that's so much easier said than done, you know, living in this environment. But with that said, I do want to show some positive light on um, this conversation because I feel like it's been really negative. Um, I've been seeing a lot more ethnic neighborhoods popping up in the United States, places where we're celebrating cultures for what they are. And... You know, I have had more Haitian food in during this quarantine than I have had in years because I think I finally really had a sit-down conversation with my parents, um, and I really had a sit-down conversation with my family when I was with them all last summer about how I wanted to be more Haitian, and that's given me kind of the opportunity to embrace those parts of my culture. I started listening to Haitian music, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I still struggle a lot with the difference, what to me is like the difference between being American and being Haitian, but I've decided that I really do want to be Haitian American. Like, I'm trying to find that balance in my life, and I guess that's what I encourage any person of color who's living in America to do. Like, find that balance, because it's so important to not put that part of yourself away just to please other people, but it's also important that you embrace where you are because I don't ever want to resent America just because of its issues. I'm so grateful to be in this country and I've seen other countries and the poverty and problems that rack them. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be in this situation, all of its pitfalls with it. But yeah, if you're a person of color and you're a woman, choose to perhaps embrace both of those parts of yourself because believe it or not, they're both a part of your identity. And I think it's an everyday struggle to find who you are at your very core. But if you keep working at it and you keep allowing yourself the time and the room to really embrace who you are, you'll find that point. And that's something that I think is going to always be very important in our lives. And that's something that I've tried to live by for the past few months. Yeah, for sure. And I'm grateful that I got the opportunity to move to Texas because I think definitely moving to a place where, where I see more people that look like me has made me embrace my culture a lot more, be a lot more proud of it. And like as a Hindu Indian American girl, um, the U.S. is I, I'm grateful for the opportunities the U.S. provides, although it's not perfect. Like um, it's definitely a lot better than other places and we're we are working to get more like diversity and embracing diversity so I am grateful for that so um with that we can that will be it for this week's episode of cluelessly conscious 
And make sure to go check out our other episodes where we talked about the 2020 elections and BLM. And also make sure to follow us on Instagram at closelyconscious underscore. Thank you and have a great day.